This is Coda Radio, episode 345 for February 18th, 2019. Hello there, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and its related technologies. From a very cold and icy Pacific Northwest, my name is Chris, and join us every week, like the soldier of podcasting that he truly is, it's our man in Florida, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Chris. Hello, handsome. Good to be connected with you, and... We must not take another moment. No more time must be spent on anything other than the introduction of Wes Payne. Hello, Wes. Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> well, hello, Wes. I got to come up with like a really clever way to segue you into the show. You got to work on that. Because right now, homework. right now, it's uh, Chris practices improv. Is uh, is really what happens with the intro. <laughs> well, that'll benefit future hosts, I'm sure. <laughs> well, guys. We have a pretty great episode. The three of us are gathered here today to talk about many, many things. Mostly how Mike spends his money, though. This guy right now, he's got not one, but two new Linux rigs sitting in his office. We're really later today going to be talking about his new Thalia workstation, which is a killer. Oh, my God. You and I got a chance to go see them hands-on, but Mike had a chance to see them. Yeah, it's it's his. He's using it in his home. Yeah, he's like the proto-prototype, too. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But just as a little T-skis, Mr. Dominic, um, you got yourself a Darter Pro laptop as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, currently reviewing that. Um, very just kick the tires of the review. Literally, like, installed basic toolchain. So, and I, of course, put the mandatory number of drinks on top of it. Right, so how does it work as a drink holder? Um, it's pretty effective. I, In fact, I did get a Valentine's uh, package from Emma for myself, my wife, and my son, including <laughs> That's so plastic sweet. wrap, oh. a flask, <laughs> and... A uh, shirt for Laura and a uh, number of uh, chocolates for my son. That's so nice. They are prepared. That's really nice. You know, they just they yeah. they've embraced it because they realize that it's a good revenue source. It's just going to keep so. happening, and it's a whole family <laughs> affair. Yeah, you, literally, your Twitter feed was giving me anxiety all weekend long. It was it was it was rough in the Fisher household. Okay. When you're reviewing a laptop, it's important to put a bottle of scotch on it. I can see that. An, uh, an right. entire bottle, um, some cups. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not even like, you know, it was just cutty, so it's not like we were going too hard. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but I suppose the higher proof it is, the better, right? There's less water in it, so that's got to be safer for the laptop. Great point. It'll actually clean it. That's a pro move right there. Science. You got to love the internet, though. <clears throat> and I don't mean any uh, disparaging uh, comments towards anybody who actually did this, because a couple of you did this. But, like, uh, w- w- the internet's response to Mike posting a picture of a laptop with a drink on it is, uh, hey, Mike, just so you know, uh, ThinkPads are waterproof. <laughs> like, that's, like, that's the answer. Yeah, so, oh, my God. Yeah, ThinkPad. I've, I've gotten a lot of emails mentioning the what I thought were dead thinkpads. You've also got a couple of audience members that are uh, stalking you in Telegram trying to get you to let them buy you uh, the unspillable mug. There's a couple... (laughs) Yeah, it's a thing that's happening. (laughs) Oh, I did forget. In Emma's package was also a sippy cup. (laughs) Not for your son, but for you. (laughs) Nope. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Now listen, Mike. 
I actually wasn't sure if you're going to make it today. I wasn't sure. I wasn't going to hold it against you if you no-showed, because as far as I can tell, you haven't slept for about 24 hours. And not only is that the first time this week, but I believe it is the second time this week. What happened to all that talk we had about getting better sleep hygiene? What happened here? Yeah, I need to get back on the wagon there. I have not slept a good night's sleep in four days. Mm. That is getting up. That's some serious stuff. Mm -hmm. Hallucinations. Mm-hmm. I get grumpy. Yeah, well, I, I, I keep seeing Alan Jude with the USB stick installing BSD on all my machines. Yeah. It, keeps you up at night. That might actually be real. I, I don't know. Are you, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, so are you uh, are you pulling all-nighters for work, or is it uh, unrelated to work? It's work. It's uh, just trying to wrap things up. You know, the beginning of the year is always kind of awkward. You have project endings, project starting, and uh, yeah, just trying to dive one project that's supposed to ship and it looks like it is shipping but that's requiring a little more effort than i bargained for hmm. i i i mean i know how much people love it when we talk about this stuff because it's Nothing only it's so it, happy it's only us on the show that sleep so it's not applicable to anybody that certainly listens to not show. no obviously i'm back so we're going to talk about stuff not related to coding clearly because only on only when I'm on the show does any of us sleep. Apparently, I'm deleting Reddit today. <laughs> I I just really quickly, you know, I got into tracking my sleep. Yeah, and so I had a 15 day stretch where I was getting really good sleep, and it was pretty remarkable. Did people comment? I had, I'm thinking uh, Hadia type yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. I had. I would say. I mean, I would say I had great, great energy. It was. It was good. I was. I, I felt it definitely translated to a more productive sense of. Being, which is it's like the key factor to me having an overall well sense of being like if i don't feel productive i'm a mess and uh but for the last week once i got sick and then I st- i've been traveling to last night was the first night here i can tell you right now i got a, i got a little complication on my watch i push one button and i can tell you i've got last night i got 15 minutes of deep sleep oh no i got four hours of quality sleep okay and that's my best in a week but I know that now at least it's trending in the right direction. Yeah. And I actually get, you'll see this, I get a readiness meter. Can you see that? I get a readiness meter that tells me, based on my historical sleep data, how I'm going to feel overall today. And I'll tell you, this is actually pretty spot on. Oh, don't check it all handy. the time. So you kind of be like a little heads up, like, you might not be on best. Don't take it. Yeah. 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 Take it a little easy. If you've got the Apple Watch, get auto sleep. And uh, just wear it for 30 days. And uh, go to bed with it. And just uh, get your sleep figured out. It makes a huge difference in your productivity. And uh, how much you spill on laptops. So you, this is uh, this is your intervention right now, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Get some sleep. Yeah. Wes and your buddy Wes and Chris, are. Uh, we're having an intervention, Mike, and we're saying tonight you have to go to bed on time. No working late tonight. So. Yeah, no, I think I might go to bed at 8. Me and the two-year-old are going to be in lockstep. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, I, I, I want I want to see a tweet in, in 24 hours or so saying you got great sleep. Otherwise, we're going to have to keep talking about it on the show, and nobody wants that. Nobody, nobody wants that. <laughs> You see what I did there? <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. All right. Well, that was really just me stalling to get us to the point that I think Wes and I are most interested in. I mean, we've got a lot to cover today, uh, including uh, switch statement changes. Uh, we got login forms to shit on. Um, there's some big things for IoT developers that are going to probably change the game for the next 10 years. And Mike got triggered this week. So we're going to talk about all of that. But first, we got to get to the bottom of Mike's Thalia workstation. Y'all know that System76 announced their own in-house designed and built Thalia workstations that run Linux. They have a unique wood panel design that's curved around the front of the case. Lots of I.O., the specs for the uh, hardware. 
the case, the design of it, all of that is open source. They have a daughter board that manages some of the I.O., also open source. And they started shipping... When did we go down there, Wes? Kind of the, the first start of December, I think. Was it? Yeah, yeah, you're right. So mid-December, they started shipping to customers that pre-ordered them. And Mike's pretty early in that batch, and uh, just this last week or so, received a System76 Thaleo workstation and uh, has posted his review. I'm kind of curious to know your initial thoughts, Mike, and um, your overall, like, buy, don't buy on the Thaleo. Yeah, so the Thaleo is um, magical for a number of reasons. The most important being that a client actually paid for it. <laughs> that helps. That is magical. So that's a big win. I like it. Just top line, I definitely would recommend it. If you're. I did get a couple comments already because I love Reddit. I guess there are cheaper Linux workstations, and I did do some research, and it's like, that is true. Turns out. But. Turns out you can always save coming... a, you can always save a buck in the Linux ecosystem, right? But if you're coming from the Mac world, this is half the price of an iMac Pro, if not like it's it's about as configured. This is about twenty three, twenty four after tax and shipping. It I think okay. Um, I am running the AMD version of the regular Thelio. Um. I mean, I, I, we have the uh, specs somewhere in the show notes or in the review. So if people want to look, just go to dominicm.com and look. This is probably the fastest computer I've owned. It is pretty specced out. 8 gig GPU, uh, 32 gigs of RAM, crazy Ryzen processor. I love it. So far, I've had only one minor issue, which was in shipping the secondary hard disk drive dislodged because UPS apparently thought it was a soccer ball of some kind. So I did have to open it up, but that actually brings me to one of my positives. I didn't. I was able to reinstall the drive, open the case, reinstall the drive without touching a screwdriver. Everything is uh, basically hand, uh, the that's, whole case is hand screws. That's so nice when you just want to get down to work. Yeah, if you just need to fix something, there's yeah. pl- working inside of the case is easy. I could see myself modding this out with additional hard disks. And um, I have to say, there, and I know this is like super nerdy, although you're listening to Coda Radio, so you're already, you know, done. I have not seen the inside of a case that was so yeah. easy to work in. Yeah. Yeah. Like they have the thumb screw plates in there for additional thumb yes. screws when you add more devices later. Uh, every like the hard drive bays are precision cut. Um, you know what's funny though that you that you hit a shipping issue is, Wes. Wouldn't you agree? Like one of the the number one things that Carl would comment on Carl CEO System seventy six was all of the crazy ass things that they were particularly engineering just to survive shipping. Yeah. Oh yeah. They spent a lot of time being like, well, we needed to design this not just for being in the case and that life, but how is it going to get to the customer? In fact, so much so that I actually asked Carl, I'm like, so clearly, like, shipping is the most extreme damaging experience in the life. Because the, the, the life of this PC, they were building, they are custom laser cutting individual components to hold the video card in position during shipping, drive cage stuff, uh, stuff to hold their dot, like, all these crazy little components that they are custom manufacturing. Yeah, that, that aren't there for any other part of the life of the machine. Just to survive shipping. 
And so I asked Carl, I'm like, is this, is this the most extreme situation the computer goes through? He's like, yeah, this is it. If the computer survives shipping, they generally survive everything. <laughs> it's like, it's the most damaging thing. And so much of their R&D goes into surviving shipping. Yeah, did I see that they're uh, like the super, the massive ships in like a, in a giant big case? Yeah. Yeah, that was right. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I have to say they they have a very nicely designed box with some artwork. I did not post a picture of it um, because it looked like uh, Rocky Balboa had a few rounds with it by the time wow. it got to my door. Yeah, the wow. UPS kicked the crap out of it. So, how's I/O inputs and outputs like? Do you have pretty good connectivity with this thing? Do you have uh, plenty of storage? Yeah, you have um, plenty of storage. You have two USB. 3.1 Gen 2s, which I thought was a nice touch. They're basically just double the uh, the I/O throughput of regular USB 3. You and you have a bunch of USB 3 ports. You have all the so if you're coming from a Mac, you might have to get out a, a, one of those like Tom's Hardware guides and realize what all these ports are. <laughs> <laughs> might take you a few hours. <laughs> the only I would say deficiency in the ports is actually what I'm experiencing right now. There is no front line out for an audio jack and if you're doing any kind of podcasting i'm on the thaleo right now by the way oh so if you're doing anything is that what like i'm that, hearing in the background is that what that is i that, can't that was hear my it. next yeah. yeah i do hear it. yeah you can hear it yeah, so yeah there is a pretty i was wondering how the road road mic would pick it up um it's there is fan noise yeah now and i don't it just know. got a little louder too it just picked well, up my bit. neighbor's also mowing his lawn. Oh, okay. oh that's mostly. so we we'll have do, to disambiguate. Now, so yeah. What the audience hears is processed a little bit, so they don't hear the full effect. They'll probably hear a little bit okay. of it, but they won't hear the full effect that we're hearing. Yeah, it's not bad. Like if you, I don't hear it when I'm watching TV. Now, I, I will say that I think this machine is is you know I'm used to slapping Linux on a Dell or some Windows workstation and fighting with like particularly graphics drivers, right? Sure. Yeah, that noise you, if you just heard something, is my neighbor. Because I just heard it kick up through my headphones. The experience of taking a fully powered desktop, putting it on my desk or on my side table and being ready to go was great. Having the drivers all pre-configured, I honestly, I honestly think if you're considering switching from Mac OS to desktop Linux because you wanted a Mac Pro, right? This is, I know I'm getting very particular here and you happen to be a developer. Honestly, consider the Thaleo. You're used to spending money. It's not that much more expensive than the equivalent, let's say Dell. And you don't deal with all the nonsense that you would deal with if you say bought something at Best Buy and had the slap Linux on it. Also, it's beautiful. I have gotten more comments on the case than anything else. Hmm. Which I think is um, interesting. Yeah, but I, I, it's, thought, I thought it was a nice yeah. design. I really do. Yeah, right, but that was kind of one of their goals is a desktop you could have on the top of your desk. Yeah. Which seems like kind of where you put it. Yeah, they that that is how they put it. They wanted something you'd be proud to show off. And I think it is that. Um, and the thing is, is what you're proposing has a, a built-in sales advantage. Like Apple has this massive tri-cost. If you want to get into the Apple ecosystem from a Mac side, you're looking at $1,000 or you buy used, but you will eventually want to buy a machine that can actually do your work. So you'll eventually spend money. But with Linux, you can throw it on anything just to see if the applications work for you. You can't do that with macOS. 
Yeah, right. And you commonly do. You just find a machine. You're like, well, yeah, spec yeah. it out, try it, see what happens. Or even if you have a decent machine now, so you've you've got maybe a like this right here that we have in the, we have one of these in the studio right now. It's a 2013 MacBook that we've used to throw Arch on before and things like that. Uh, it's it's still a great it's a computer. Fine machine. Yeah. It really is funny. Like it's a 2013 computer, and if the design hadn't changed, I wouldn't be able to peg it. I wouldn't know. Like it does everything, including processing complex art audio effects, very quickly. And so you could just throw a Linux in a VM on this or throw Linux on this and try out the workflow for a week and see if it works for you. You can't do that with the Mac. You can with Windows. It's not, it's yeah, not right. as flexible, but you can. Yeah, it's a little more. You can, you can push and squeeze it. And, but unless you want to get into like KEXT hacking, and that's just, that's just unpleasant. And it's not, really, it's not done as much anymore either. Yeah. So I think there is a sort of... Um, you can put your, I guess the way to put it is you can put your toes in the water before you make the leap. You can put your workflow toes in the water, see if it works for you, and see if the water is uh, amenable. So um, would you spend your own money on it, Mike? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if, again, since I am a complete Linux hippie now, apparently, I would, um, I would this would be my Mac Pro replacement. Hmm. Get the hell out of here. Now, wasn't it wasn't it your co-host uh, maybe over a year ago who told you you should go with a powerful desktop approach and uh, build a powerful desktop that is a Linux-based machine, and then your remote systems could be like a uh, you know like a thousand-dollar banger MacBook or a Chromebook or anything that you needed for the remote work, but you could always remote into your centralized powerful desktop system that you invest into. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Senator. I have no clear recollection of that meeting. <laughs> it sounds like something I might it say. It does though. sound like something you might say. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> I'm going to be really curious how this works out in like the next month or two, especially with, with the fans and, and mm. what happens there, because it, would, it is really tempting to just yeah. solve that problem. Just be like, here's, my, here's a machine. I can do work on it. I know it'll just work. I can install whatever Linux distro and it'll have support. You and I were in a small office room with one of these failures. I did not sound like that. It didn't sound like that, but it was an Intel-based system. It was not the AMD system. Could be a different cooling system. Who knows? It could be the different sizes have different sound I mean, I guess in theory you could go hack on that uh, daughter board and uh, mess with it. Well, um, I'll be be curious to know what you think of the darter in time. Uh, I think it's, uh, boy, kind of a, boy, look at you. You're swimming in new gear over there. It's a lot of, you're doing a lot of OS setups and installs right now, aren't you? I can install a Rails tool chain in about 15 seconds now. <laughs> so are you gonna? Are you just sticking with pop on everything? Like, I'm sorry, pop underscore OS exclamation mark? They really need to change that. Um, yeah, I was running elementary, but right now everything's on pop because that's uh, the way it's configured. Just for the sake of sanity and not wasting too much time, I am going to stick with pop. Huh. There you go. There you go, Wes. There you go. Do you think you could try it? You think you could live on pop for a while? I would be willing to try. Yeah. Are you you're still on plasma, right? I am still on plasma. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Katie and Neon. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, I boy. mean, it was really nice when the latest one dropped and I just did an update and nice. it keeps working. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Wes and I, or and, and L, who, uh, if you haven't met yet, go check out Linux Unplugged. She was on her recently. Uh, we'll all be hanging out at Scale17X coming up on March 7th through the 10th, 2019, at the Pasadena Convention Center. And uh, if you're going to be at Scale, go to meetup.com slash Broadcasting Saturday evening. We're going to all go out to dinner. 
have ourselves a little get-together, and uh, just uh, hang out amongst friends. Scale is the uh, annual, I was going to say, I don't know, I, would, I, I was just, I was going to say the uh, biannual, but it's not, it's an annual, annual Southern California Linux Expo, it uh, always happens around, around this time of year, it's March 7th through the 10th this year, and the hotels are booking up quick, so if you're going to go, you need to get a hotel very soon. L will be giving a talk from our team on the introduction and basics of containers. Wes and I will be sneaking around, chatting and hanging out with people and fully taking advantage of the hallway track. Oh, yeah. As we do. As we do. I don't think I'm bringing the RV this year, though. No, just going freestyle. Going to do the hotel thing. We'll be fast and light and on our feet. Nimble, if you will. Mm-hmm. Nimble, if you will. See everything we can. Um, And uh, don't ask Mike. He's not going. Don't ask him. He's Florida's... On the it other seems like end. A, a, I mean, you just get stuck in the swamp, right? I, yeah. I believe that's how it works. Yeah. By the time you got to yeah, California, it'd be over. That's the problem. That's true. Or an, or an alligator would follow me, and, and I can only imagine people <laughs> from California trying to say, alligator, how have we offended you? <laughs> Is that how it works over there? <laughs> I'm right. a huge fan of California. Well, uh, uh, before uh, anybody... Uh, well, I, I suppose if they're going to leave the show, they've already left now. But maybe we should do a little development talk. Oh, maybe. I, I, what do you say? What's the name of the Coder Radio? Yeah, no, I don't think. Oh, Coder Radio. At the end of January, the .NET Core development team has released a new version of .NET Core framework, which I think might have got mentioned here on the show. Yeah. Uh, .NET Core 3 Preview 2, as they say. It delivers a new version of... Uh, it delivers what well, does, but it delivers a new set of features to C-sharp for developers. Uh, and we're going to be talking about switch expressions today. Switch expressions, because this is one of the new things that landed in .NET Core 3 Preview 2. Okay, so I, I threw this uh, into some of the show notes. Cause, what? Because Mike suggests, it was something that Mike said on a previous episode, which was just some of the the feedback, the attitudes, not liking some of the changes in recent C-sharp. Oh, yeah. And I saw a couple comments on, on the internet, things like, this might be better titled Changing Things for the Sake of Changing Things and Appealing to the Programming Language Geeks. Oh, snap. And so for, I thought this was kind of an interesting change. Apparently it offends people. <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a shocker. That's uh, totally unexpected. Okay, so to fully appreciate this, help me grok what a switch expression is and why .NET needed them. Boy, I don't know. I mean, Mike, would you say that it needed them? <laughs> yeah, I, so I, I think Wes and I might uh, have a little falling out here. <laughs> so, I'm here to witness it. <laughs> a switch, switch expression is basically stuff you could already do, but with um, an equal sign and a right-pointing carrot thingy. Okay. Basically, let's make C-sharp more functional uh-huh. so we can show off how smart we are. Sorry. Go ahead, Wes. Oh, oh, that shot's fired. I mean, okay, it is it is a small thing. It probably just doesn't matter at all, and we could probably just skip the whole thing. But I, I don't know. I like I like expressions over statements. Statements are they're just, they're just so they feel like weird black assembly computer magic, magic where you just say like adjust the machine. And an expression, it's a nice clean mathematical style function. So it just seems easier to reason about. And I often try to set things up instead of having a case statement or something like that. With a, with a switch expression, you get all the same pattern matching benefits. And uh, I think the way with the equal sign, with it on the right of the equal sign, it's just a little clearer to think about. It's mm, a good case. That's a good strong I will case. say that the like C sharp in particular, like obviously this kind of stuff works better in really functional languages like F sharp or Haskell or Scala. So like there is a little bit awkward if you need to do a couple things on the, like whichever you've matched something in your switch and then you want to do something. If you need to have multiple statements in there, 
probably the best solution right now is a kind of ugly lambda. So it's not it's not perfect. I don't think you should go change everything to use this. I just like I like the functional influence. Well, it seems to be the way of the future. Uh, and I think that's been one of the criticisms is, that, oh, this is trendy. This is what the trendy thing to do in language design. Yeah, that's right. I think yeah. this is right I mean, on the edge probably of like, is it what's the real value versus just being in both? Yeah. Well, there's value to that too sometimes when you're trying to draw in new eyes and new or new developers. So that's not necessarily, I don't think it should be necessarily dismissed. I, I don't think it's do worth like, a major like change. The, like, I feel like oftentimes the functional approach can be a cleaner mental model and it might be more difficult for people who've been doing it for a long time and already have it yeah. into model, but Fair. for newcomers, it might be simpler. Exactly. And it might be if you're going for a growth thing right. versus, you know, just dragging along the old timers. Yeah, it's just F-sharp envy. <laughs> um, all kidding aside, though, this is interesting, right? Because we're seeing all the, the stodgy old languages, Java, C-sharp, are now adopting the, I call them West features, but basically cool <laughs> kid features of safety and functional programming. And I actually think it is to the benefit of, um, let's just say, more conservative developers who maybe aren't exactly going to go on the bleeding edge as i said that the rust book just fell off my <laughs> that's, that no, that's, that's very fitting okay. wow that's uh, yeah that's telling <laughs> that's a sign so, from so I, I static, upset. <laughs> yeah i have static in my headphones and the rust book fell so there's some sort of supernatural rust god who's about to materialize in here yeah yeah that's what happens when you stay up for 24 hours developing you uh you summon the rust god they 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 are watching all the time is, is it is that how is that how the first Rust developer came to this planet? I it believe, was, yeah. Someone just didn't sleep for a week. Yeah, I believe that is actually the, tr- the truth. So, what what's our takeaway from this story, Wes? I mean, besides the fact that it's coming and uh, people better get used to it, like what- yeah, it's just a new form you might start seeing out yeah. there. Probably you won't use it, but uh, be aware some people might. Oh, I bet. So there was a great, great post that completely validated everything I believe in life this week. So I wanted to talk about it with you guys. And it is, don't get clever with login forms. Um, And uh, this is becoming a plague of the internet that is preventing good password hygiene. And I have a plea to all developers in the audience that might work at any of these companies that could make a difference here. You have been chosen by God to make a difference today. So please listen. Please create login forms with simple, linkable, predictable, and that play nicely with password managers. That's it right there. Simple like that. I've recently experienced several login forms that won't let me uh, paste in the uh, password field. Have you ever experienced this? Oh, yeah. And and commonly, it's the worst things. It's like important stuff that has your credit card information. And ones that I... Implicitly want you to want use to it. use a really yeah. long secure password, a very long and secure password that they no longer or uh, uh, or oh here's another one they will not let you paste in the like the bank routing and account number <laughs> oh, fields yeah, right like what which again is something I, would I don't like. want a fat finger and get wrong no because they charge you a fee for that yes or here's another common one that we've all seen I blame Mike for this design trend is it it makes everything look nice and simple where it it hides the password field. So you just get the login, you get the username, then you have to hit next. Oh, yeah. Right. And then you get the password, which some password managers are fine with, but we don't need this. We don't need this. And I, I totally, completely blame Mike for that. Yeah, I do. And I, there's... You, what? what? I have a login form for you. Yeah, I bet. You know what I'm saying. You have to... 
design. Oh, I know what it's you're you saying. You people that go for the nice looking designs with their fancy websites, which you're a big fancy website. You sure guy. are. He, you know what I'm saying? I am. <laughs> well, I, I'm changing though, Chris. So there's no going to be no more fancy websites. Oh, it's just going to be a terminal application where you have to solve a programming problem in Rust to log in. <laughs> there you go. That's why you don't you don't <laughs> need a password. No one can get in. It's fine. I just no one can get in. I don't understand how this even happens. I guess they're trying to prevent maybe bot abuse. Could be. Yeah, could be. That's the only thing I can think of is like they're trying to prevent somebody from automating the entry of the information into the field. I mean, might some of it be just like not really thinking about it? That just sort of like, oh, like with, like with modals, for instance, right? You're like, oh, yeah, well, it just pops up and it kind of looks. Yeah, now a modal login, I think, is a design driven choice. I think you got a great point there. That that needs to stop immediately. That has <laughs> to stop. It has to it stop. It does need to stop. It yeah. really has to stop. Just make slash login or whatever. It's fine. I will go out of my way to try to find a non-modal version of the site. Yes. And then I will bookmark yes. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will do that. So, but what needs to, the other thing that needs to stop, it's just, it's fundamentally screwing with good password hygiene is the blocking of the password paste. And I think they do it because you think about it. That's not an accident. No. Like there no, had to you be. You have to very consciously do it. Right. So there was and probably multiple conversations in a large company maybe maybe dozens of discussions about blocking password entry right you got to figure it has to you yes, know yes. how this gets in built. any yeah exactly right in any reasable size organization so that's there what was a, there was at multiple levels of the company there were uh-huh. individuals <laughs> that thought this was a good idea that bought off on the idea for better security got to put on the schedule got developers to finish the feature yeah that's and, insane can i give you my you all right i i I have actually experienced this. Yeah. Come clean, Mike. Come clean. <laughs> okay. So there are these people. They're called designers. They smell good generally. They dress well. And they're really good at sweet talking. Corporate executives is every race, religion, creed, sexual orientation, age, country of origin, into doing things that are, I'm trying to find a nice way to say this, completely idiotic but look pretty. That coupled with the second problem of every uh, Madbot or customers listening, I of course don't mean you. Every enterprise I have ever met ever has this fallacy. I, I can only think of two companies that I know have legitimate security concerns that I've worked with at least. I cannot think of a startup in the last almost 12, almost 14 years I've been doing this crap that didn't think that they were the NSA. (laughs) They legitimately believe that someone wants to hack into their, you know, 20 year olds, Gen Zers want to hook up and have a good time app. They they legitimately believe that. But so they do these crap. I have implemented more of these horrible, completely breaks last pass things than I care to mention. At the same time, they will have things like digital ocean accounts with passwords such as Robert nineteen forty four. That's very specific. So, <laughs> it is very specific. Hmm. So, so you might not be able to log in, but you can certainly get on Do and go into the terminal console for the database and dump the whole thing. Huh? And this is just how yep. people operate. I yeah. mean, yeah. This is my plea. Like, I don't think I don't think I'm going to solve world hunger. Uh, I'm not going to cure cancer. You haven't been making much progress on that one. No, I'm not giving up, but I'm, but I'm thinking, but this, we can make a difference. We can make a difference. It starts with every listener out there. When you get to a website that doesn't let you paste in a password, 
you give them some feedback. It starts with every developer out there. When somebody gives you a design decision that says to have a modal, a modal login, you say, I will not. I refuse. Starts with all of us. And then when you have no billings for that quarter, you <laughs> yeah. uh, write Linux Academy and ask them to send you some money. <laughs> you cannot beat the designers. We've called. Hey, man, this is this is the battle of our time, and it requires sacrifice. You can't make... Yeah, you know what? They brought... I just want to say, they brought us iOS 7. You got to crack a few eggs. They are un- they're unbeatable. They're monsters. <laughs> We're All not right. starting a design show anytime soon, right? Okay. No, not yet. Not now. No, we ought to, you know, we ought to, we ought to talk about um, this thing that Canonical's doing that I don't think any other major Linux player is doing. Like, I look at what Red Hat has going on, and they don't seem to be making a huge play for IoT devices. No, like Fedora's got some stuff, but not, it's not like I mean, there's a Fedora way. You know, they say yeah. it's off on its own. It's not like a Red Hat yeah, corporate it's not a big deal. corporate push. But Canonical has announced that the latest version of Ubuntu Core for IoT will get 10 years of commercial support. At 260 megabytes, Ubuntu Core is one of the smallest IoT platforms out there. They did that essentially by stripping out a ton of components from the main Ubuntu OS and then figuring you could use Snaps to replace some of that functionality. It also improves security by pulling a bunch of stuff out because you have a smaller attack surface. And when you consider the popularity of Ubuntu, Canonical has a pretty good pitch for their IoT platform here. It's got a wide range of applications, and Ubuntu Core enables a new class of app-centric things because you've got all of the snaps that are already, like things like Plex and FTP servers and mail servers that are snapped up that you can put on an IoT device. I think that's pretty pretty compelling. You combine that with the smaller size, 260 megabytes, the fact that it's based off a 1804 LTS, and it gets 10 years of support. Ooh, boy, howdy. Now, all of a sudden, you've got something pretty compelling to build off of here. I think, I mean, that seems like the major the major thing this this guy has, right? Is that it? it's everything you already know. It's the same Ubuntu. I mean, a little bit changed, but if you're already using Snaps, if you're already familiar with the Ubuntu base. Yeah. It's the same platform. You don't have to start using Alpine or, or something even more exotic. Well, it isn't kind of the same argument that, that has been really successful for Ubuntu, with the, that argument being uh, one of the great things about Ubuntu is you can run it on your desktop and build on your desktop or on your laptop for the same environment you're deploying yeah, in the right. cloud. Yeah, you match production right there. Well, same thing here, yeah. Same totally. thing with IoT devices. That seems pretty super valuable. And I mean, I'll admit to doing... I'm, I end up deploying them onto all kinds of places for the same reason. It's just easy, and I know how to I know how to use it. Now I know in our off air chats, Mike has looked a lot at IoT devices here and there over the years. For even on our on on air chats, we've talked about it a bit. Have you really looked a lot about the life cycle of the operating system of the devices that you end up shipping, Mike? Is that something you factor in? Like, how long will it get security patches? Kind of. I mean, in, it, so this Ubuntu Core thing is actually new to me, so this does look interesting. But yeah, it's generally any kind of LTS, and there are specialty versions of many Linux distros you can basically buy support plans for already. But if it's just something I'm kind of hacking on just to you know try something out or prototype something, I, I hardly pay attention at all. But, but having said that, Ubuntu Core... You know, put a gun to my head, Greenfield Project, I get to make all the decisions. This probably is the way I'd go because it's easy, something I know. Yeah, and you get the 10 years of support, which I I feel like the reason why I'm kind of excited about it is not because I'm like an IoT nut job or anything. It's just um, like if we're going to go down this path 
for God's sakes, please figure out the software update. Yeah, right. It'd be nice if they could just update things a little bit more, but clearly that's not happening. This right. is the this is the best alternative. What gets me what gets me so frustrated is this was a problem we foresaw when we started seeing all of these consumer grade routers. We all looked at that and went, well, we're not doing any kind of universal yeah, No one's updating these. This is a huge problem. What are we doing? That was a preview of what the IoT mess could be. And we have seen what that results in in terms of botnets dominating these devices, taking over people's DNS, exploiting zero days. These things are riddled with default passwords that are like the MAC address. Like the list goes on and on. That's routers. Like we need to take those lessons seriously and build IoT devices that reflect those lessons. And one of the core lessons is you need an update mechanism and channel to these devices to keep them secure because they are connected to people's networks. And that's one of the things Azure Sphere offers that I I think is very compelling, a complete update lifecycle. Well, this is Canonical offering the same thing from the Linux side of camp, but it's a much more B2B kind of relationship because Canonical is a manageable size company. So if you're a reasonably small to large size company, you could work directly with Canonical. That's yeah, a huge benefit. that is, right? Combine that with the fact that they've already, you know, with, with their phone exploration, like they've already pushed their OS to all kinds of similar spaces. Right. And you're likely already using it on the cloud. So yeah. it's just, I think it's a pretty clever play. And I think they, they don't get enough attention for it uh, because IoT OSs are just one of those things that people don't talk a lot about. It's hard too because with the long support cycle, like the last the last core release was ages ago. So this yeah. is the first time we've been talking about it for, for a long time. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I was distracted. I was watching my Ubuntu TV. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? I'm sorry. I got a call on my Ubuntu phone. I couldn't. Uh... <laughs> All right. Well, hang on. Uh... My, my, uh, my Tizen is ringing. I'll be right back. <laughs> you got uh, your bell rang uh, this week on Twitter. I saw you start tweeting about this. So I knew you were percolating in... And it starts with a, a simple tweet by Andrew Madsen. He writes, it's weird how the iOS community has shifted so much from iOS development to Swift, quote unquote. Five years on and a huge part of what everyone's doing revolves around the language and not how to create great apps. Why is that? And then um, after... Uh, after what? See, let's see. That was at that. I'm just doing a little time math here. Mm-hmm. February. Mm-hmm. Analyzing. So Mike percolates on it for around 12 to 16 hours, and he says, "You know what? Thinking more about this conversation. This is now our our uh, our host, Michael Dominic. Says thinking more about this conversation about how iOS dev and macOS dev scenes have changed online. It occurs to me that there is a platform where. Do you think I'm doing a good mic? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. keep it up. Okay. It occurs to me it. there is a platform where the past ethos of just build cool things lives. And that's desktop Linux. You can see it in particular on elementary OS. Oh, man. And, you know, i got to completely agree. I said I think it's a fair point. On the iOS side and the Mac side, things are driven by the trends of the mega corporation that drives it. Probably rightfully so. And right now that is Swift. So you see the culture of the community sort of align. It's, it's, it, there is a long stick to it sometimes with the Apple community, but you do eventually see them kind of fall in line yeah. with the Apple ethos. Boy, this, Apple. Is, this is interesting because it's, it's yeah. the flip side. Of, we talk a lot about the benefits of having that sort of corporate backing, right? right. But open source is often the, the scratch-your-own-itch community. Right. It's sort of like the last bastion yeah. of scratch-your-own-itch. And I yeah. think that's pretty p- profound uh, pondering you're doing there, Mr. Dominic. Yeah, I mean, I, there, there is one other thing I would probably add. Long-time listeners, and uh, probably not Wes, will know that I had a, Chris, how can we say this, a passionate 
reaction to the announcement of Swift? <laughs> An allergic, you might say? Oh, oh my. <laughs> you know, I actually went back and re-listened to that episode kind of recently. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's not a great look. <laughs> you can tell uh, I, I was have to like, do that. I was like panicked you were going to bail at any moment. It was... Uh, yeah, like just throw a chair. I had, I had a little flashback moment when I listened to that. So... There is an alternate universe, theoretically. And I think this is other people, not me, saw Swift and realized what they could do was, because it was brand new, because Apple, as you guys are saying, does basically control the iOS ecosystem, and the iOS development ecosystem in particular, um, and to a lesser extent, Mac. There was an opportunity. It was basically resetting the board, right? There would be some opportunity. And we see this. How many Swift podcasts exist now? How many Swift blogs, right? Mm, yeah. Too to many? position yours right. To basically climb the ladder, so to speak, in the community. Position yourself as a Swift expert, I'm using sneer quotes here. There was a little resistant by some very few people who didn't want to switch. I think people just tried to seize that opportunity. And then the reality is Apple has been really aggressive at pushing Swift. So if you really love the Mac platform, if you love iOS, well, you're crazy not to embrace Swift. Hmm. Uh, what's interesting is that something else happened at the same time, which is all the indies basically got killed. You know, even I believe uh, somebody can fact check me and apologies if I'm wrong, but I believe a couple months ago, even Panic Software, one of the biggest uh, Apple ecosystem development companies uh, and independent app makers had layoffs, right? Black Pixel like, has had layoffs. In fact, they had to merge with somebody. All of these, if you were in the Apple community in the early to mid-2000s, the mid-aughts, these were kind of the, the big guys that you looked up to. Not that they're gone, right? They're not like gone-gone, but many of them have either refocused on consulting, writing enterprise apps for uh, larger corporations, or, you know still have their products, but don't make that much money on them, right? Have shrunk. Um, I mean, Omni, the Omni group, rather, has been pretty open in the last, I would say, five years about discussing, you know, some of the changes that have happened to the market. So take all those things together, right? Take the fact that there's definitely an opportunity for, you know, look, when Swift came out and we, I remember when like the first Swift Focus podcast came out, that mother jumped the charts like choose Linux. There's your plug. There's your plug, Jason. <laughs> Why? Well, because one, Apple controls the iTunes charts. And two, it was an opportunity for an, an ambitious person to basically try to, you know, jump up in the ranks. And also, all the indies are like broke now. I mean, I, I can't, I, I know Linux hippies that this is going to feel weird for you. People used to sell their software for money. And like there were these small companies that used to make a lot of money just selling macOS apps and to a lesser extent iOS apps. And that is, I mean, I'm sure there are edge cases still, and obviously Panic and Omni still exist, but that is just not in general the case anymore. Wow. See, that was always touted to me as one of the like professional aspects. Like, sure, you, there might not be as much open source stuff, but if you've got the money and you have work to do, there are applications to do it. There's, I mean, some well, of the big well, ones are still yeah. there. You know what? Right. Which, but there's also in those applications, and I'm wondering if you see this as much on the Android side, Wes, there is a big, hard shift to subscriptions. Every kind of productivity app I've gotten uh, on the iPad Pro that is a large productivity app 
mostly is being monetized by a monthly, not by an in-app. Not all of them, but I'd say 95%. And now, uh, Hadia loves using the pencil on the oh, iPad yeah. Pro to draw. Those are like sign up for nine dollars a month to get uh, for the drawing app? for the drawing for new draw for new drawings and and new colors and new yeah you new tips and stuff like that like everything is being monetized with a monthly subscription. I guess we're just okay with it now, right? I mean, you might not actually be, but people I mean, seem to be paying it. I feel like I understand why because software development is an ongoing process of creating the software, maintaining the software, providing support, adding new features, adding even if you just keep up with the mobile platform pace of development. Android's in, true in this case too, perhaps not as rapid, but true. You have to just maintain at a certain point to stay in the Play Store, to stay in the App Store, and that takes time and money. Then you combine people emailing you for support. People that uh, want new features, like there's, I guess, really the old model sort of assumed a certain amount of growth, right? The only way it was sustainable is that you had new customers. That's it. That's it. Is they well, and yeah, and you could bump major versions and get another hundred. Right, bucks you might yeah you do that. People. You might have like a limited license, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I touched on last week, not to to beat this dead horse, but uh, I think both Google and Apple are incentivized to have ongoing subscriptions. If they can turn all of these apps into little subscriptions, will they get a cut of that? So the the, the owners of these stores are incentivized to encourage Just this nice behavior. predictable income for everyone. Which means keep prices low so that way we can get monthlies. Yeah, but that's – for that to make sense, and I think this is where, where some of the indies have ended up going, you need a lot of people – buying your $5 a month or $20 a year or whatever it's going to be subscription. I mean, you need a lot of people. I don't know. I mean, if, 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 uh, if, if, if you get, if you get 500 people that are all paying $5 a month, that might matter more than, than a thousand people that download it for free, but only a hundred of them. So, I mean, I don't know. Like you gotta, you gotta look at the, it depends on what your sales might be. There's yeah. a lot of things there, but um, like for you know, you look at Patreon. It's a similar system there. You can have a you can have a content creator that uh, can make a few thousand dollars a month on Patreon, but can then afford to distribute content to hundreds of thousands of people. So it so, yeah, subscriptions do yeah. work in certain kinds of situations. They can, but I, I think this is where sometimes um, talking to people who weren't like super Apple focused back in the day. It's not like Patreon, right? It's not like you're writing, you're a one man band writing an app and, you know, let's take your $5 a month. That's $60 a year. 500 people, what is that? $30,000, if my math is correct. The indies um, that exist in the Mac ecosystem weren't, they were, of course, there were into one guys, right? There were one man, one woman shops. Of course, I'm not saying there weren't. But the ones yeah, that people yeah. tend to think about yeah. were corporate, were small businesses that employed five to ten people. Yeah, thirty grand for an app yeah. is a dev site, right? That's not even like that's not even half of a dev salary. If no, that, I except agree. for like super junior people. Yeah, yeah, that you're right. The subscriptions it either has to be okay for that. Yeah, right. If you're talking about a company that's more than ten people, yeah, it's got to be a pretty big scale. Well, even five, right? Let's just say you're five software developers. Um, you, you, you have. Then I'm, I'm going to, okay, we're going to make lots of assumptions, right? We're going to say U.S. or Europe. Why would you work for, you know, why would you, it's just not enough money, but it used to be, right? Like, remember, OmniGraphle used to be a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. For one license, right? Same thing for all of Panic stuff. And prices have gone down over the years. Um, you know, these were 
little companies making quarter million, half million dollars just doing their independent apps. And I, God's honest truth, other than some of the old ones who are still stuck around, I cannot name. In fact, I would actually challenge you guys. Can you name a new app, and we'll just use the term loosely, any platform you care to mention where they're just selling it to consumers or to small businesses, right? Any new company since, let's say, 2014 that has started or launched something? Oh boy, you got like me a standalone with, product. You got me with new company. Yeah. Right, that is not also a consultancy, um, right? Because I don't count. Because I'm a, on the I'm, app store, yes. Yeah. You know, like uh, things like Go drafts ahead. and IA Writer. But okay. yeah, I say okay. But not not on the desktop. Not on not on any of my desktops. No, there's been nothing. No, yeah. Wow. I can name one. What? If they would just let ISH into the app store. That guy, they'd be in great shape. Yeah, yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, I, that would be nice. Um, yeah. hmm, that's uh, that makes that does make me I ponder. Think that we should all make those businesses fail. Still hate you, Richard. Still hate. <laughs> he accomplished his mission, apparently. So, um, can we talk about hardware for one one more moment? One more one more time. I, I mean, know. I'm pretty depressed it. about the software. So I know. Yeah, let's try. So, Hang on, let me spill this water. Uh, I I think uh, I think we're in a really interesting time for hardware. Um, so Mike's got these two System seventy six rigs that come you know out of the box running Linux, pretty nice, great options for developers. Plus you know Dell's got their uh, developer line. Yeah. Uh, Wes and I can attest the T four eighty runs Linux perfectly well. Sure does flawlessly. Uh, if you want to get a ThinkPad, uh, and then today there is a rumor out that there will be a thirteen inch MacBook with thirty two gigabytes of RAM. 32. Boy, that is, I mean, that's a number I had hoped for for a I, long time. I, I, I know we're not allowed to make predictions anymore, but I, I, I'm like Mike. I'm actually feeling um, pretty good about Apple's hardware prospects. That's a big change. I mean, right, like a year ago, that was yeah, not the case. I was, I think, the, the most vocal critic on this show about it. But I, I'm looking at where Intel's chips that are likely going to ship in 2019 are going to land, what might make it in the MacBooks. And I feel like since... The iMac Pro was a pretty a pretty big hit. The Mac Mini seemed like a pretty yeah, solid release. Yeah. Like I feel like they're getting momentum. They're getting their heads around this again. Is my is what I suspect. Right as Mike is a completely jumping chip. What are your thoughts on that? Just as we wrap up the hardware thing, uh, because I'll tell you, I look at this and I think to myself, Mike, I I could be in the market for a 13 inch MacBook Pro. I thought no one needed more than 16 gigs of RAM. No, I'm kidding. Well, I'd use that I to run a very, Linux VM. <laughs> exactly. Um, I heard something very, very different. So it's weird. I heard you were, there was going to be a 16-inch one. Oh, yeah. No, it's both. That was, yeah, that's the, that is. It's both. Yeah, but who cares about it? Uh, Nobody. Who's going to buy that? Nobody. I, mean, that, I mean, that is kind of a serious workstation, I guess. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. But that's, that sucker should go to 64 gigs. But 32 gigs in a 13-inch... Uh, I I am all on the 13 inch laptop. I will never buy. You can run all the Linux VMs you need. I will never buy a larger laptop than 13 inches from now on. From for the rest of my life, I don't. Think I can I'll... do 14, I think. But you're right with. The, I mean, you travel enough though. That's hard. Yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I, that, that that could make sense. I mean, my my biggest concern to get me to go back to a MacBook um, in any kind of serious capacity, I would need a keyboard that is not defeated by a grain of sand. Yeah, I know I'm half joking, but I've I've taken yeah. so many of them that's in fair. for that. That that's fair. What's the uh, what's the early word on that darter uh, keyboard and trackpad? Uh, it is okay. So, spoiler alert, and uh, I don't think Sub76 is going to like this comment. Don't buy the Galaga. 
the darter is so much better in both the keyboards that's a taste thing but the trackpad is so much more accurate mm. uh, not that the galago is bad but galago is your basic like windowsy you know non-apple trackpad the darter is much closer now they still aren't like macbook trackpad because apparently Apple is the only people who've learned the arcane magics required to make a good trackpad. But it's significantly better, and it's about as good as you would get on, say, an XPS. Huh. Oh, okay. That's interesting. There's a lot going on. It's just a lot. I don't know what to make of any of it, Mr. West. I know. I'm kind of. It's nice that the T480 the has been so solid, because I don't yeah. have to think about it, at least for like a little bit. Yeah, we've been getting tweets asking, uh, people asking to listen to the show, if uh, we still recommend the T480. We've gotten a couple, so figured we'd we'd address it on the show yeah it's it's something that uh, i think i'd still recommend yeah it's no like it's no beauty uh but it is pretty solid just as a just as a workstation what do you think i've been thinking i might recommend it high dpi yeah i mean depends on what your workflow is and how much that matters to you Mm -hmm. i think one advantage is if you don't go high dpi it can be a pretty simple like if you have like xfce on here and you didn't want you know just like you just used it for some appliance type situation that would be a really good machine Mm mm-hmm yeah, for me, I I think the MacBook might be a more effective machine for me just because I'm very unhappy with Linux audio stack right now. I am, as you know, I'm very unhappy. We don't need to go in on the show. But so I think for me, that might be the direction I go. We'll see where it goes. But I think it's going to be a strong year. And uh, the overall trends probably won't change much, but I think they're going to have a strong year. Mr. Well, if, if you're going if you're going Apple before we cut out here, mm-hmm. what about Mac Pro? Because isn't, isn't that the hotness if you're waiting on a Mac that... I know you travel a lot, so it's probably, but do, do you foresee a Mac Pro in studio? No. What, what, what would it take for that to happen? I mean, I, I, don't even, I can't even think of that. They'd have to basically make a Thaleo. <laughs> That's what they'd have to do. Like, if the Thaleo uh, was a... Was yeah, a, that'd be nice. Yeah, because I, I really, I think that's great hardware. I just simply, um, you know, I, I've, had an on, on, I've, had a, I've had an ongoing relationship with Linux Audio Stack for a long time now, and uh, we've just just recently decided to see other people. We're happy. And, um, you know, we're, uh, we're still sharing custody of the studio. But um, we decided for both Linux audio stack and for myself, it's just better if we see other Core people. Core audio just does something for you. Well, yeah. I mean, that's not on, that's not on Pulse. That's, that's, nothing, that's just between Core audio and I. It's not <laughs> sure. on Pulse. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Mr. Dominic, where should people find you throughout the week? Uh, at Tumunoko on Twitter. That's fair enough. I can't believe that's it, but that is the show somehow. Uh, it was uh, it's, it's nice being here with you guys. It's a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. I don't know if I'll be back next week, but uh, I do like being here. We'd like to hear your feedback. We need to get more questions and feedback into the show. Our feedback section. We do need some. Yeah, come on. Let us know. I've been wondering what's going on because the downloads are still there. So people are still listening, but they're not writing in. You, dear audience member, only you can change that. We make dramatic changes to the show, and we hear just from a few people. It's very confusing. So let us know, because otherwise we're left here assuming probably the worst about you, really, if you think about it. Isn't that Therefore, what, us. It's human nature. It's it, human is, nature. it is human nature. So nature. the only way you can fix it is by going to coder.show and then hit the contact link. See, there's a solution there That's for easy. you. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show there, uh, coder.show slash subscribe, and you can grab links to all the things we talked about at coder.show slash 355. Mr. Payne, where can people find the excellently new revamped TechSnap program? TechSnap.systems. Go there to find out why you should probably already be using QoS at home. Yeah. Yeah, and some cool tools in that episode as well. I'm at Chris LES. The network is at Jupiter Signal. We do this show live on a Monday. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that jblive.tv to watch that 
Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coda Radio Program, and we'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>